what I've noticed for the last like two months, we DVR. I mean, no one watches live TV anymore, but um, so we can skip through the commercials. But right before Wheel of Fortune starts, there's been uh, advertisements for Not Scary Farm. Um, and what happened was uh, one of our daughters walked in because we didn't fast forward enough because we knew it was right before the and and there's like this horrible clown with like blood on his face going like my daughter started crying like i was like oh wow you know i thought she was a little more desensitized than that because of the video game she sees me plays but but i guess not and uh and and it's interesting we 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 kind of sort of entertain or get excited about horror this time of year fear um, Doug's actually going to give a little devotion during Harvowine uh, for our kids about fear. But I, I kind of wanted to um, take a look at a piece of, at a, at a piece of scripture where uh, fear is, it, it doesn't seem like it, but it's actually the entire thing, the entire uh, passage is being animated by one man's fear. He has this deep set fear, and he's the kind of guy, uh, he's the kind of guy who walks around and he seems like he has it together. Most of us uh, who are deeply afraid, uh, we hide it. We don't want anyone to know about it because it'd be shameful. And so we, we act as though we're fine. But deep down, uh, underneath, we have these insecurities. We have these fears. And this is the story of a guy who, um, who has that going on. And really, when, when you get that right down to it, what we're going to see is that what he's, his fear, his, his, his concern is he wonders, what does God want most? Alright, that's what, that's what, that's what's kind of like, animating him. He's a person who believes in God. He believes in uh, heaven. He believes in hell. Did you know 80% of Americans believe in God? Only 40% believe in hell. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, probably because uh, the idea of hell is very uncomfortable for, uh, for modern Americans. It makes a lot of sense to people who live in cultures where there's a lot of violence um, and, and whatnot. But for those of us who don't experience that on a day-to-day basis, the idea of anyone being punished is uh, very uncomfortable, uncomfortable for us. Nevertheless, this man does believe in that, and he, and he knows, he knows deep down that what really matters is being able to give God what God wants most. And the question is, what is that? Um, if you'd like to read, um, it's in your pew Bibles, it's also on the back of your note sheets. This is the New King James of Luke 10, uh, 25 to 37. It goes like this. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, Jesus, saying, Rabbi, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, well, what's written in the law? What's your reading of it? So the lawyer answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you got it. You've answered rightly. Go do this. You will live. But the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, who's my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and left, leaving him half dead. Now it so happened that a certain priest came down that road. And when the priest saw the beaten up, robbed man, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came. He looks, he's like, just want to check and make sure you're really injured. Okay, you are. Uh, And then passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where where the man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. 
He went down to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he left, he took out two denarii, a pretty sizable portion of, of money, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You may be uh, familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a pretty famous text. Did you know that the story of the Good Samaritan is a response to a man's question? It comes about because Jesus encounters this uh, religious scholar lawyer. I want to go through the text and I want, to, I want to reveal why it is that Jesus tells this particular story to this particular guy. And, and we'll see, I mean, we tend to associate Jesus with being this kind, compassionate, encouraging, loving, forgiving, wonderful human being. I, 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 I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna hold on to that because it might be that what Jesus is doing is he might actually be sticking a knife in this guy's side. And so let's, let's go through the text a little bit slower and let's see if that, uh, comes out. The first thing to notice is that um, a certain lawyer, when we hear the words lawyer, um, do we have any lawyers here today? If you're a lawyer, raise your hand. Thank goodness. Okay, uh, so we can all just be honest. We can't stand them. They freak us out. Uh, they're not good people. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Some of my best friends are lawyers. Uh, and I only talk to them when I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> Well, that's because when we think of lawyers, we tend to think of people who are experts in secular law. They're the ones who know how to keep us out of jail. Um, they can tell us how much a certain corporation owes to another corporation. They're, they're experts in the law. In the, in the ancient world, especially in, in uh, Israel, though, a, a lawyer was really somebody who was super familiar with Israel's law, religious law. Lawyers were actually somewhere, uh, they, they were the kinds of people who knew the law so well that if you had a problem, you could come along to them and be like, well, what does the Bible say about that? I mean, it's the Old Testament, the Torah. What does the Torah say about this? So I know what to do and how to live. So when you see the word lawyer, it's actually probably closer to what we think of as pastors. Right? He didn't have a congregation, he didn't have a flock, but he was the kind of guy that when you have a problem and you're like, I'm not sure what God says about this, you find him and you're like, hey, I need some help here. Um, interesting, he, uh, his, his question, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, literally the life of the age to come, right? He wants to grab hold. He wants to seize it. He wants that. And he, and he, and he asks a question. Interesting. Uh, if you're, so I, I've been in the pastor game for a while now. And one of the things I've noticed is that the same questions come up over and over and over again. Typically in uh, today's culture, those questions involve LGBTQIA plus issues, right? Lesbian, gay, bi, trans. I get them all the time. People are constantly asking me this. Uh, my students uh, in seminary, uh, people here in the church, people who just know that I've got an education, they're always asking me about this. And I've got kind of a, a number of things that I say, and I have a, sort of a, some, some pat things. I'm like, well, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this. Um, and as a sort of a pastor type person, I expect it, and I give the best that I can to explain. But there's always this part of me that's kind of like, but look, you know, I mean, I can say all these things, I'm confident about them, but you know, at the end of the day, like, it's hard for me to, to take what you're talking about and then bring it down to the real level. Because usually people ask these questions not because of some abstract, but because they're dealing with things in real life and they want to know how and, and, and what to do. 
And so there's a part of me that when I'm answering these questions, I, I get like a little bit like, uh, but really, I mean, I can tell you all these facts, but is that really what you need? Is that really what you need to hear? Some facts about X, Y, and Z? Or is, or is really what you're coming to ask about something about your real life and how to live in light of what God says? That's probably what this uh, pastor lawyer is doing. He's probably been going around. He's probably heard over and over and over a question. People come to him and they say, they say, pastor lawyer, I really want to make sure that I, and I, I get, I get eternal life. I get the life of the age to come. I need this. I want it. What do I got to do? And so this pastor lawyer, he's got a pat answer. He's like, he's like, you got to do it. We'll see it in just a second. But maybe, maybe he's not quite sure he's right. Maybe something's been starting to dig at him over time. Well, if you're a teacher, you know that the best way to answer a question is with a question. You always turn it back on somebody like, Tom, what do you think about, well, what do you think? It's a great way to buy yourself some time to think. Uh, but really, it's and even not that. It's, it's also a way to let um, the person reveal to you who they are and what they're like, right? Because you're, you're asking questions not because you necessarily need some more information, but because you want to elicit from them who they are. You want to know where they are in life, what they're going through, who, what they're like. And so you ask that question. Well, that's exactly what Jesus says here. He says, well, what's written in the law? What's your reading of it? You're a pastor, lawyer. What do you think? Does he need to know, does Jesus, is Jesus sitting there going like, gosh, that's a great question. I don't know, man. Can you throw some ideas out at me? No, he's the son of God. He knows what to say. He knows what the truth is. But he's dealing with a very specific person in a very specific context. Now, the first thing we need to know is that, that the, 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 the pastor lawyer, not only is he you know, getting information so the next time someone comes up and asks him, he'll have a good answer. He's also, he wants to know for himself too. He's had all the answers, but he's not sure. Well, the first thing you know, Jesus, is the, the religious expert, the pastor lawyer, hopes to have a prominent place in the everlasting kingdom of the Messiah. He is expecting a, a Messiah to come in, wipe out the Romans, set up an eternal kingdom where all the dead who have been faithful Jews will rise. They'll all live conquering the world forever in peace. And he wants to be you know, up in that. He wants a piece of that. Uh, what we would think of as heaven, right? That's what he wants. And so he's, he's hoping that he's going to get that, but he's not quite sure. So what does uh, Jesus say? Jesus asks him the question, then we go back to the text. And this guy, he whips out his, his professional pastor answer manual, and he, and he says, Ah, I know. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Good answer. This is uh, drawn from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He puts these two together. He, and what he's done is you can tell that this guy, is, he's a pretty sharp dude. What he's done is he's studied all of the things that God has revealed, and he's looked at them and poured over them, and he's basically said, well, if you take everything that God said, all the laws and the rules, and you take the stories and everything, and you put it all together, well, I know, I know, what God's really after is God wants us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, strength. Which is a Hebrew way of saying, with everything you've got, everything you've got, everything you've got, everything you've got. That's point number one. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. Leave nothing behind. Give it your all. 
And then in Leviticus, he, uh, he, he, he recognizes from Leviticus 9, 8, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what you owe to God. Love him with everything you've got. This is what you owe to your neighbor. Love him as you would love yourself. Right? Give your neighbor the same affection, care, kindness, and mercy that you would give to yourself. Good answer? Jesus says, yes, you got it. You've answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. This guy's like, yes, okay, good. Wait. Something's been bothering him. This is exactly the answer he expects. He's probably, he's probably asked this same question to many rabbis. He's probably received the same answer every time. And every time he hears it, it gives him some comfort. Like, whew, okay, I, I, okay, I'm right on. Okay, I know that. And yet, every time he gets it, when he walks away, he starts, something starts pricking. At the back, it's like an itch that, you know, Jesus just scratched it, just like the other rabbis scratched it, but as soon as they stop scratching it, it starts itching again. There's something, and so he's, he's about to walk away and go and, you know, do exactly what Jesus just said, and then he stops and he says, wait. What is it that the, that the religious lawyer, the, the pastor lawyer, is, is basically interpreting that text to mean, right? What does he think? Well, he thinks for the same thing that everyone always thinks. Um, if you want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, well, what do you do? You do all the stuff that, you know, religious people do. Show God that you love Him. I have some pictures. You gotta, when you're praying, you can't just pray, you've gotta go down to your knees. Um, you'll notice the uh, collection plate up there is dramatically underfunded. There are many ones. There's one five, one ten, one twenty. Do you see any Benjamins? I don't know what church that is, but nobody there is going to heaven. No one there is inheriting eternal life. I mean, come on. Oh, you love the Lord with all you got, and it's a one dollar bill. Come on. Help me out. And then, you know what? If you're going to love the Lord with all you got, you can't just stand there and look while the singing is happening. Nope. Nor can you even just stand there and mouth the words. Nope. Because we're talking about loving the Lord your God with all you've got. So you have to get up there and raise your hands and belt it out. Right? You gotta be a good religious person. And yes, you should probably read the Bible too so that you can know who God is and what He's like. And if you're not doing it enough, then you're not showing God love. Come on, honestly, if, I mean, if you're just like, you just say, love the Lord your God with everything you have, is this, is this right here too much to ask? I mean, come on. That's got to be like, what, the bare minimum, right? And so, and so presumably the, the pastor the pastor guy's like, okay, I got that. That's good. Whew. I was worried about that. I was worried that I would have to do more in order to uh, to show God that I love him with everything I've got. But just, you know, regular piety, that'll, that'll take care of it. And this is the next thing here. No cheese. Um, the, the, the pastor lawyer, he uh, hopes that what God wants is piety. Right? If God's, if you're just a good, pious, decent human being, like a good folks, good people, you know, then, then you've done it. You've achieved it. You have shown God that you love Him with everything you have, and you've shown that you love your neighbor as yourself. And he's ready to walk away. And it just, there's that little itch. And so he asks the fateful question. It's great, too, uh, wanting to justify himself. It's such an interesting choice of words um, because it literally, in, in Greek, it's like wants to make himself righteous. 
It literally says, um, the, uh, the man wanted to make himself good, holy, pure, righteous. He wanted to, to make sure that he was the kind of guy who gets to, to rule in heaven and do all those things. And so he's just a little bit worried. So who's my neighbor? Jesus is one of those, um, those teachers. He's an insightful teacher. He kind of reads you. He gets you. And so um, he knew that this guy, uh, based on what he said and the way that he held himself, that there was something troubling him, some deep fear. And what's going on is that this guy has been giving the same advice year after year after year after year. And part of him is saying, but I mean, is it really, what is it? And he knows the answer, right? In fact, this question too, this who is my neighbor question, he knows what Jesus is going to say. He knows because he studied the scripture. I want to show you what Jesus is supposed to say. Uh, it's, uh, this is where he gets this text. It's from Leviticus. Um, notice uh, what you would assume the, a neighbor is based on this text. Okay, this is Leviticus 19. Uh, you shall not go um, you know, telling ta- ta- uh, tales among your people, right? Your tribe, your family, your people. Don't uh, take a stand against the life of your neighbor, the people around you, in, they're near you. Don't talk about your brother, right? Don't hate your brother in your heart. Don't rebuke your neighbor. Don't bear any grudge against the children of your people. Uh, We're talking about faithful, good Israelites, Jews, the people around you that are just like you. That's what neighbor means, right? Neighbor is all the people that, um, that love God the way that you love God. They're the people you go to church with, basically, in the ancient Near East, sort of. It says it right there. And maybe what he's thinking is he's like, have I... Well, there's a lot. So there's a lot of people in Israel right now that around this man who who aren't as good a Jews as he thinks that they should be, and so presumably because they're not that they're not his people, so he can ignore them, right? There's some bad Jewish or bad Israelite people that he can ignore, and he's still loving his neighbor. That's what he thinks. He's pretty sure that's right. What he's worried about is maybe he's even supposed to be nice to them too. He's like, I hope that's not the case. I just better make sure. And going back to the text. Jesus looks at me once and says, you want to know who your neighbor is? Okay. I'll tell you. And he tells one of the most famous um, stories in the New Testament. The Good Samaritan. I got the picture of the Good Samaritan. Right, there's the... the <laughs> that priest is a mean guy. I... I don't think that the priest was... He's the guy who's like, oh... I don't know if that's really the case... He's probably just busy. He's probably priests are the people who have to take care of the temple services. So he's probably just on his way to the temple. He doesn't have time to deal with this guy dying in the street. I mean, yeah, okay, whoa, whoa, you're going to judge him? Cool, all right. Uh, when was the last time you're driving down the freeway, right? And you see a car stalled with the emergency lights on, right? And you're like, oh, well, I'd better stop and take care of this person. What, nobody does that? Oh, you just drive on? You just assume they have a cell phone and they're going to take care of themselves? Okay, when was the last time you, so you witnessed an accident and immediately you stopped your car and you went over and you helped people out like you're Spider-Man, right? And Spider-Man, when he sees an accident, he always stops, he takes care of them, he gets the people out of the, the car, he makes sure that everyone's okay. Is that what you do? Or do you kind of like, well, there's professionals who can handle this. I'm running a little bit late to pick the kids up from soccer. I'm sure they'll be fine. Are you a bad person? 
Because that's how you respond. So the uh, priest, he walks by. The, uh, the Levite, a Levite is um, just, it's a person who's in the same uh, family as priests. All priests are Levites, not all Levites are priests. It's a tribe of Israel. But they're responsible with making sure that um, all of the, uh, the, the, all the rules are sort of abided by, right? So the, Le- the Levite guy, he, he's an expert on like all the rules of things that we're supposed to do or not do. So he's walking along and he sees and he's like, <laughs> he looks a second time, he double, he rubbernecks, slows down traffic. Um, he goes, he checks, he's like, uh, he'll probably be okay. <laughs> we can, we can, we can let this slide. He moves on. And it's the Samaritan who, um, does, you know, the right thing. In the ancient world, especially if you're Jewish, a Samaritan is somebody who, um, they lived in the north and, uh, they were, they were people, they, they probably had some of the same blood as Jewish people, but they were considered, um, uh, like uh, distant, dirty, screwed up cousins. Uh, because when the, the true Jews were taken off to exile, these people were left there and they intermarried with all of the various non-Jewish people in the area and they took on many of the re- religious traditions that were not um, pure Judaism. And so as a result, they were um, hated and shunned by their purer uh, southern true Jewish uh, uh, cousins, as it were. Now, when Jesus tells this story and gives the answer that he gives, what we should be understanding is that this dude's mind has just been blown. It's not like he just got a new definition of neighbor. He just had his entire religious system turned upside down. I'm going to show you how that happens um, by just sharing how it happened to me. Um, this was when I was uh, 19 or 20 years old. I was at uh, Davidson College in North Carolina, home of Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors. Go Warriors. Um, you can see a picture. I have a picture of my school. It's very nice. Uh, I was one of the poor kids at school. This was a private liberal arts college. Now it costs $50,000 a year. Uh, back then it was probably like 36, but whatever, it was a lot. And, uh, and I went to school with people whose parents, um, were like lawyers in Connecticut and who owned shipping businesses and spoke like four different languages. I was a poor kid, I thought, because of the people around me. In fact, their parents, uh, literally wrote checks every year to just send them to school. 36, in today's dollars, 50 grand. They just write the check. If, by the way, you're the sort of person who can do that, I really want you to become a member of our church. It's just a quick pitch. Um, so we're sitting there in philosophy class, and uh, Dr. Rob, he goes, he goes, uh, hey, um, he, was, he was a funny guy. He's like, who here is not on any financial aid? <laughs> and so there's, you know, some of the, they were dressed in Abercrombie and Fitch, um, and, and they slowly raise their hands, kind of looking around being like, hey, we're frat boys, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> yeah, we're loaded, it's, it's fine. And, uh, then Dr. Rob goes, he goes, um, I have a friend who, uh, provides clean drinking water to, um, Malawians and Mozambicians. Um, and I, I just found out that if we took just one year of your tuition, uh, we could pay for, uh, 12,000 of these people to have fresh, clean drinking water for 20 years. We could dig six wells, 
Six wells that won't be destroyed. They'll be protected. Six wells where they're going to purify the water. And we're going to provide water for 12,000 people for 20 years. And what I'm asking is, I'm just asking one person here whose parents wrote a check, a tuition check. I'm asking you next year to stay home. I want your parents to make this check out to my friends who is going to turn it into water for 12,000 Malawians for 20 years. Any takers? Personally, I was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm poor. Oh, I'm off the hook. I'm, I'm, I'm on financial aid, so I don't, I don't, I'm not responsible. Like, okay, great. But I'm looking at some of my friends who are like, this girl, Aisha, uh, she puts her hand up and she goes, um, she goes, well, no, but presumably with the education I'm getting, I'll be able to make sure that I help a lot more people when I grow up. We're all looking at her like, really? That's your response? What was the point? Was the point that everyone there should just give up their tuition money and go on a create clean drinking water? I don't know, maybe. But really, what the point was is that if you really think that you're good, you think you're a decent person, watch what happens when it starts to cost you something. All of your generosity dries right up. All of your kindness, and all you care so much about the poor people in Africa, right? It's only going to cost you one year of school. Why don't you put your money and your experience and your life where your mouth is? What Jesus has just done is he's just said, guess what? Everybody is your neighbor. Anybody who is in need upon whom you can have compassion, not just your Jewish brothers and sisters, but even anybody, anybody, anybody can, he takes neighbor and turns it into a verb. You can neighbor anyone. You can become who acts as neighbor, who is neighbor to this man. It's anybody. You can be neighbor to anyone in need. All you got to do is just be a neighbor to them. Uh Uh-oh. Because now... We just took all the limits off, all the, all the fences, all the, well, it's one thing when it's my group, it's one thing when it's with people on my block, it's one thing when it's the people in my church or my synagogue or whatever, it, but, but as soon as you start to erase those boundaries, what am I gonna do? And, and this, this, this thing that's been itching the back of this guy's neck, and he's just, there's been this thing clawing at him where he's been wondering, am I really loving God with everything I got? Am I really loving my neighbor as, my, as myself? As soon as Jesus says this, all of his worst fears are confirmed. His worst fear in life, the thing that drives this man, that's caused him to go totally insane, is the fear that, this is in your note sheets, the fear that his neighbor is everyone. If his neighbor is everyone, then he has an unlimited, endless responsibility to everybody. And if he, if he, if that's the case, and he starts trying to live that out, what if, what, what this guy's, now he's gonna get a new fear, right? Cause now he's gonna ask himself, what is, what does Jesus think it means to love the Lord your God with everything you've got, everything you've got, everything you've got? Well, is it just, here's a few bucks on Sunday. Is it just this? Is it just this? Is it just this? Or is loving God with everything you got something infinitely more difficult?
Look how Jesus ends. <laughs> Jesus is not very nice to the pastor lawyer. This is, uh, by the way, this is a little tip when you're reading the New Testament. Notice how Jesus responds to religious people. He's almost always mean. He's never nice to religious people. Just, it's fun. Read it. It's cool. Jesus says, go. Go and do just what the Samaritan did. Can you imagine trying? Can you imagine trying to, to be like that? Stopping at every single car that's on the side of the road. Answering every call for help. Being there for everyone who needs a little extra. It's impossible. The problem is that um, the, the pastor lawyer, he, he's been asking uh, the wrong question. And Jesus is showing him, you've been asking the wrong question. What, 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 what the pastor lawyer has been, been wondering is, what do I got to do to get in? What he should have been asking is that deeper question that's underneath it. And that question is, what does God want most? Because it is the wrong question, or the wrong answer to what God wants most that has put him in this quandary. What if what God wants most is not that you, uh, you know, tithe and this, that, 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 and you pray and worship and read your Bible and, and help every person that you see on the side of the road. What if that's not really what God wants most? God does want those things, by the way. I'm not knocking those things. What if that's not really what God wants most? What if that's not really what it is to be his kind of person? What if our sort of total mentality of like, of like, Good God, you're interested in this, 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 and this, so I'm gonna go do it. What if that's, we've, we've missed the first, most important point? You see, once Jesus has said this, the answer to the question, what does God want, want most? From this guy's perspective, the answer is now, who cares? It's impossible. I can't do that. I can't even get close. And I'm a really good guy. The answer to the question, what does God want most? Can only be experienced, truly experienced, by someone who's tried to do everything else. You've tried to be the good person. You've tried to do the right church stuff. You've tried to be a successful business person. You've tried to be good with your family. You've tried to do, I haven't tried and tried and tried. You've tried to please God over and over and over. And there's always this little nag that you're, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. And then you get to the point where you say, God, this is, I can't do this. This is impossible. And God's response to that is, I know. His response to that is, the just, the righteous, live by faith. I know you can't do all of that. So here's a new plan. Let me do it for you. Instead of trying to figure out how to, what I want most, instead just depend on me. Just trust me. You know what I really want from you? Really deep down? It's not all that other stuff. What I really want is for you to depend on me. That's it. 
I want you to be relying on me. I want you to be trusting me for all of the things that you need. I want you to be trusting me for your righteousness, for your holiness, for your forgiveness, for everything. I want you to trust me to be all the stuff so you can stop. Ultimately, what Jesus is, is God's gift of one man who actually does love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and truly does love everyone as he loves himself. He is the only human being who has, ever has, and ever will be able to fulfill those commands. Jesus did and does love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you can't. Jesus did and does love all people as he loves himself. You can't. And what Jesus says is, if you trust me, I will be that righteousness for you. I will be that life for you. I will be all of that for you so you can stop killing yourself, trying to be someone that you cannot be. If you're here today, and you've had that itch in the back of your mind... Saying, I just don't think I'm good enough. And I don't know what to do. The gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, is you don't have to. Just believe. And all of those things that that you know that you can't be, they're done for you in faith. Life is yours for free. Jesus did it for you. He will be that for you. All you have to do is believe. I am asking you, if you have not believed in Jesus before, if you have been trying to live that perfect life and be that perfect human, today is the day to say, I can't. It's impossible. God, I'm going to let you do it for me. I'm going to trust you to be righteousness for me. I'm going to pray for you in a second. A lot of us, especially in the church, like, yeah, yeah, we know. Do I have the, um, the lion slide? Go to the lion slide. It's my favorite. You don't think that's funny? Like, that deer is so used to, like, just, like, hey, man, how you doing? Wait a minute. <laughs> what? <laughs> a lot of us, um, we, we hear the message of grace, right? And, and we're like, oh yeah, that's awesome, totally. Um, the last thing I want to have to do is try to work hard for anything. I like this message where I don't have to do anything. God does whatever, everything for me. I, this is great. Sign me up. I've been hearing this a lot. And so as a result, I, uh, I spend my days just kind of doing, going through the motions, you know, never thinking that, um, that there might be danger in that. The interesting thing uh, is that when the pastor lawyer asks Jesus, he says, what, do I must, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Not receive it, not get it, not get into heaven, but to rule in heaven, to be a champion, uh, somebody, a big deal in heaven. What do I got to do to inherit, to really receive the full riches of the next age? What do I got to do? You got to really love the Lord your God, and you really got to treat your, and love your neighbor as yourself. And yeah, you can't do that perfectly, and yes, Jesus does that for you, but once you're given new life, don't go into the, I'm saved, I don't have to worry about it, blah, blah, blah. Instead, recognize that, yeah, what God wants from you is a life of service, and you will be rewarded for that. That's the next one here, rewards ahead. Don't just quit on like, yes, Jesus loves me, I'm cool. That's that's a start, but that is no way to live in this life or the next. Rather, 
Rather, once you know that you no longer have the burden of trying to earn God's love, appreciation, and acceptance, then you can live in the light of that and just receive from him the missions that he has for you in this place. But then go fulfill them. And for us here now, especially those of us long-time Christians, we are called to be going out and making disciples. This is not supposed to be a club that doesn't grow. This is supposed to be a club where we go find other people and be like, get in this club, it's the best one. We, we have a, a mission, and, and instead of just sitting there being like, oh, it's so good to be saved, instead it should be like, be like, wow, I really hope all the other people who are dying could sort of participate with us. That's going to look different for each person. Everyone, every person's mission is different. For some of you, uh, your mission this week was to build a trebuchet. Mission accomplished. We're going to check out that trebuchet in about like an hour and a half. For others, um, your, your mission has been to be faithful in trying circumstances. For others, it's to have the courage to say something to somebody who needs to hear about Jesus. For others, it's being willing to stand up for something that's true even though it's not popular. Those are all things. Those are all ways that you can stop being complacent and go and live out the mission to go and make disciples. No, you're not going to earn your salvation. But yes, you will receive rewards in heaven for the good you do now. And I'm going to pray for you too. It's funny. um, But we live in a culture, you know, I said earlier, 40% of people don't believe in hell. Um, It's interesting, 70% of non-churchgoers love Jesus but hate the church. They assume that the uh, the church is judgmental and cruel or whatever, and that Jesus is happy-go-lucky um, and, and kind and, and fun. The interesting thing about this text is that um, it does demonstrate that before you can have good news, you've got to have bad news. And part of our mission for those who haven't heard is to let them know that if they really want to be right with God, they have to do the impossible and to hammer that home. Because only when you've despaired of making God happy can you receive him as a gracious savior. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for Jesus, for his teaching. God, we recognize um, the terror that is in the hearts of those who take you seriously who recognize that you're holy, you're righteous, you're just, and you demand the impossible. God, for anyone here who has never um, believed, who's never uh, tried to stop earning your love, to, st- to stop earning uh, being good, to try and show that they're good enough for you, for any person who's never done that, God, I just ask right now that they will pray with me, Dear God, I cannot please you. I am not good enough. God, I believe in Jesus as the representation of my righteousness. I trust him to be righteousness for me. I trust him to do the impossible so that I can have the life he offers. God, forgive me and give me the righteousness that Jesus has that I might be right with you forever. God, for any here who have become complacent who've recognized long ago that they don't have to earn your love. They don't have to work to be right before you. 
God, I just pray on their behalf. Lord God, I confess my complacency. I, I recognize that I have not been following the Great Commission, that I've not been serving you as I ought to. I've been serving myself. Lord, forgive me, and please renew your spirit in me. Show me the mission you have for me. Give me the strength and the power to, uh, to complete it in your spirit. God, I want to be who you want me to be and not who I want to be anymore. God, we lift all these things uh, in the name of Jesus, whose righteousness and love and death make it possible. Amen.